We're going to talk some motorsport now. It's been a while, but David Turner is Mr. Motorsport. Looking forward to this discussion. He joins us on the program. Afternoon to you, David. Welcome. Yeah, good afternoon, Mark, and uh, hello, everyone. What a beautiful Sunday afternoon, but what better thing to do than listen to us for a while? Be rude not to. Las Vegas Grand Prix (laughs) starts this Friday, the 17th of November, on the Las Vegas Strip. But this is a course that's, well, there's been plenty of discussion, a bit of controversy around the safety side of it. There's been plenty of discussion about many, many things around this um, Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, not a, the, the, I think the biggest issue has been the construction of the circuit and the disruption that it's caused to the Vegas Strip. Uh, and then there's the money side of it. Liberty Media, that own Formula One, invested 240 million US in the land uh, where the pit complex is built. So they own that. So their intention is obviously to honour a 10-year agreement. Um, there's, there's a lot of rumours that it might only go three, it might only go one, it might go the whole ten, who knows, it's it's one of those things. Um, but the disruption to the Vegas Strip and any tourist that's been there pretty much since before May of this year, and I'm, I travelled back through there on the way back from Indianapolis and it was a mess then, um, there, there's so much of the traditional icon things of the Strip that are, that are missing now as a result of that at the expense of Formula One. So it's it's pouring a a massive amount of money into the economy. There's absolutely no denying that. But the flip of that is it's done a lot of damage as well because the traditional things like the fountains at Bellagio, um, the lake outside the front of the Venetian, none of those are visible right now. So it's hurting someone who's not a Formula One fan who's going there to see, you know, Vegas for what it is and not getting that opportunity. But this is the byproduct of a street circuit. And I think the Americans are, are learning that you know, on paper, the Vegas Grand Prix sounded like a great thing. And in reality, there was a long way to go to, to get there. And there's been a you know, massive amount of debate about who's been paying for the resurfacing of the track. Was it Vegas themselves or Formula One? It, it, the story just goes on and on and on, Mark. And, you know, Max Verstappen came out the other day and he said, honestly, we're there for a show. And I thought that that was quite a statement, really, because um, it will be a show. Absolutely no doubt about it. The race start time is, you know, like midnight or something um, in the US because they're trying to make it fit into a European time zone. So, again, you know, they're justifying that by saying, well, everyone's up at that time of the night in Vegas because it's party town, which, you know, may or may not be true. But uh, this is November. It's in the desert area. It will probably be one of the coldest Formula One races on history uh, with a prediction of somewhere around... uh, sort of 14, 15 degrees Celsius mark, if that, probably lower, probably close to the 10 mark. So we're going to see lots of variation in, in how tyres work, how the cars work, all sorts of things. But, yeah, bottom line fact is it will be a show, absolutely. Um, the cost of going to it has been astronomical, without a doubt the most expensive Grand Prix to go to as a fan. Uh, in recent weeks, the prices have plummeted massively, has have the hotels, which is a sign of the fact that it was too rich for some. Um, but I don't think we'll notice any of that on television. And, you know, we'll get to see another race that probably Max Verstappen wins yet again. Mm. OK, so look, it's been a hell of a mess by the sounds of it over the last 12 months, over the last two years, perhaps, in terms of putting the infrastructure in place. Uh, once this Grand Prix comes and goes, though, will the infrastructure then be in place? Will it make it easier to then host this event in the years coming and the disruption won't be as long, won't be as uh, elongated? 
Well, I think the first time for a street course, no matter where you do it, it could have been Hamilton V8 supercars, you know, wherever, it doesn't, it doesn't really make any difference. It's always hard because you've never been there before. Um, the infrastructure is due to come down. It's supposed to be down before Christmas. Um, the, the biggest disruption in many ways was the resurfacing of the road to Formula One spec, which has taken months and months and months, but there's a very uh, stringent plan that has to be adhered to in terms of the type of bitumen and asphalt, um, the layer of it, the way it's done, all of that sort of stuff. So that's taken a long time. But the, the plan is for it to all come down, other than the pit lane area, which is permanent, uh, it's a permanent complex, and obviously, as I said, it's owned by Liberty Media, so that that piece of land, if you like, stays put year-round, but the rest of it's due to come down. Vegas hosts, you know, Super Bowl for the NFL in uh, early February, um, so then the, the city moves on to that. I'd like to think that they return the strip to how it looked, and then next year when they come around to doing it again, the disruption's not so bad for, you know, tourists, fans, and more importantly, the locals, and we know a few people up there now, and they're saying that it's just horrendous, you know, like a normal 15 to 20 minute drive time to work is nearly three hours. So it kind of makes commuting in Auckland sound easy, really. Mm. Interest in the United States come off, has come off the back of Netflix Drive to Survive, uh, clearly wanting to leverage off the back of that. I mean, historically, they have had F1 in the United States. Why Las Vegas? I mean, why not New York City? Why not downtown LA? Uh, why not Chicago, some of these other big cities? I think the, the thing, first of all, the driver was they wanted more. Liberty Media were very keen on having more Grand Prix in the US. So, you know, you've got Circuit of Americas in, in Austin, where they were a few weeks ago, Miami at the beginning of the year, and and now Vegas. And I think the, the draw card to Vegas was obviously the iconic Las Vegas Strip, without a doubt, you know, pretty primo piece of real estate around the world. It will look absolutely amazing on television because the buildings look amazing anyway, so you don't need a Grand Prix to make them look good. Um, and I think that that was, that, that was probably the logic behind it, and it was a city on paper anyway, first round, that could afford to do it. Now, whether they come out of that the right way around or not, only time will tell, but uh, it's certainly just upset a lot of locals. I, I think, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm of mixed minds to it. I think it's great, but I'm not necessarily always a fan of street courses. So it will be very interesting to see just what happens. Does America need three Formula One Grand Prix? I, personally, I don't think so. I guess there's a lot of people would say, yes, they do, because it's now spread, you know, West Coast, middle of the country and, and East Coast. But, you know, two's probably enough. But again, Time will tell, see how uh, the, the reaction is to it. And, and it will be a spectacle. So I think we're in for a, a good event. Um, but it's just, I think it's left a lot of sound on the locals. And at the end of the day, you know, again, whether it be Hamilton or the Adelaide Street Circuit from years back with Supercar, you've got to make sure that the locals are taken care of and, and looked after. And I don't really think um, there's been that sort of, you know, gesture made from Formula One to the residents of Las Vegas uh, that are impacted by this. But we'll, we'll see, Mark. We'll see. Uh, okay, David, putting the residents to one side and the concerns that the locals have, from a driver's perspective, what's the general consensus and feedback from the drivers in regards to this particular road circuit? I think um, it's probably open book at this stage. No one's been on it. There's been some simulator runs, obviously, by all the teams, and they've looked at it. Um, teams are used to living in different time zones, you know, like... 
when they go to Singapore for the Grand Prix there, um, all the teams move their entire you know, time zone to fit when the race plan is. So racing as late as this in Vegas won't do any disruption to how they, they work. They, they manage that easy enough. Um, the, the section down the strip to the bottom turn, I think, will be ultra-fast. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Around the back of the pit complex is a little bit twisty, not uncommon to maybe parts of the Miami circuit. Um, and then round past the new um, MGM sphere, sphere in, in Vegas. I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether it's going to produce a, a racing circuit or not. Um, it, there's a lot of unknowns. The only thing, as I've said before, you know, the only thing we know is that visually it's going to look pretty amazing. Mm, okay. Uh, let's talk about the thing that you love most, Indy cars, in terms of the driver lineup for 2024. Where have been the big changes? Um, any retirements? What can we look forward to? What's exciting you about Indy cars next season? Well, no retirements. I think there's probably a few looming in the next couple of years, um, but quite a, a few shift arounds. Obviously, Roman Grosjean um, left Andretti Autosport, which is now called Andretti Global, um, just after the final race in Laguna, which is about a month and a half ago now, uh, and then signed just the other day to Junkos Hollinger Racing after Callum Eilat left there, which I thought was very interesting move from Eilat because he's left a full-time driver in IndyCar and he's actually got nowhere to go. But the harmony in that team must have driven him to the point that it was time to leave. So he bailed. Um, you now have Grosjean paired up with uh, Augusto Canapino. So you've got a fiery Argentinian and a fiery Frenchman. And uh, I wouldn't want to be Ricardo Yonkers trying to manage that next year. But, you know, Grosjean will bring... A bit of knowledge to the team, which maybe that's what they're, they're after. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to watch. Uh, Andretti Global uh, probably going to downscale to only three cars next year rather than four, unless someone comes along fully funded to drive the fourth entry. So that's a scale back from them. Uh, probably go to four for the 500, but certainly not five like they've done for the last few years. On the other hand, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing is going to five cars. They're bringing in a guy called Kyle Simpson uh, into the fifth car for the entire season. Obviously, Kiwis Dixon and Armstrong are signed for the whole season. Armstrong's in there for the entire campaign, including the Ovals. Already tested at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so that will be interesting. I don't quite know Chip's logic on going to five cars. That's a massive car count across the season, so... We'll see how that goes. No changes at Penske. That's status quo. So it's Newgarden, McLaughlin and Power. Um, then the, the smaller teams, they're also got kind of TBCs by them. And there's, there's a lot of rumblings going on around there at the moment about who's going to get seats and who's not. And there's certainly plenty of drivers looking for seats. So I, I think that, that will play itself out probably before Christmas. But you know, you may see some movement still in January, but the, the big teams certainly are, are locked and loaded and ready to go. Um, and then the next big thing for IndyCar in 2024 will be the introduction of a hybrid engine, to which some, not all, of the teams have tested already. Uh, Dixon's done quite a bit of mileage in it. I know McLaughlin has. Um, I'm not sure if Armstrong has. Quite a change in uh, engine technology that we haven't really seen in IndyCar for quite some time. So it's going to be a bit of a level playing field for everyone next year. Don't imagine it won't come without some teething trouble somewhere along the, the way. Uh, a thing that Dixon's always excelled at is you know, fuel conservation and mileage. That might slightly go out the door now because you're going to have to manage 
you know, your hybrid system and how it regenerates power and all of this sort of carry on. The good thing about it is that both Honda and Chevrolet have made damn certain that the cars still sound like the cars that we know now. So they're still going to sound exactly like the cars now. They're not going to sound electrified or, you know, like overblown hair drivers that you get in Formula One. They're, they're still going to sound very grunty V8 type sounding cars. So I think that's good, but it should open the open the field up quite a bit. Indy Next has got quite a bit of development in it as well. Um, a, a lot still happening there, but you know the the category's looking strong. I, I would imagine that we'll get to St. Pete in early March with a full-time field of around 25 to 27 entries in the Indy Car Series, and that's that's a lot of cars. That's a lot of cars, and that's confidence and sponsorship too. I think is the sound of a car is that part of the romance of the sport? Uh, for a traditionalist, it is, yeah, for sure. You know, that's probably why Formula E, to a certain extent, struggles, because there is no sound. The racing, you know, if, if you look at it just with the volume turned off on your television and just look at it as racing, it's not too bad. But when you hear, you know, just a pure electric engine, it, yeah, to the purest, it's not, not what they're after. But, you know, it's part of the world that we live in now. And um, I think the hybrid system, though, for IndyCar will be very good. Um, I, I spoke to Scott about it recently, Dixon that is, and um, he he said it's going to take quite a bit of learning and, and understanding, but there's a lot that you can do in it. He's driven, obviously, the Cadillac for Chip Ganassi, uh, which is a hybrid-based car, but different type of hybrid system. So, you know, driver skills going to come into it and how they manage, you know, regeneration and stuff like that. So it's just another twist, and you know, probably it's quite a good time to do it. It spices up the series again. We already know that IndyCar is ultra competitive, and this will just add another twist to it. So, I I think that you know overall it's time for a bit of a change, and and this could be the thing to do it. Is the technology in IndyCar is is the changes and the evolution? Is it a little bit like Formula One? Is it all about is it all about the technology, and then taking that technology and putting it into the everyday car? for the consumer. Is that a big driving factor for it or is this just purely rich people with egos just wanting to build the fastest car? I mean, how much um, how much of the philosophy is around the everyday car and the constant evolution there? I think if you look at IndyCar, uh, there's a lot that come out of what Firestone do with tyre compounds that reflects into everyday tyre. You've got to remember that Firestone is also aka Bridgestone. Um, so you see the tyre technology being implemented in road tyres that you and me drive on, for sure. That's a known fact. Uh, and then some of the technologies that Honda and Chevrolet are using, and certainly now with the hybrid stuff, yeah, you're seeing that. Um, in Formula One, there's a whole vast array of you know, stuff that they do that can impact uh, because you're, you're, you've got so many manufacturers like you know Mercedes and Ferrari and Aston Martin and you know, currently Honda and the Red Bull seem to be Ford. Um, so they're, they're looking at engine technology, which, yeah, it does it does roll on to the consumer um, and always has done. IndyCar being a slightly more spec series, the, the chassis and spring technology and stuff like that, that's, that's purely racing. It's not necessarily about wallet because it is a spec series. So it, it just, um, you know, it's just an evolution of the sport in that sense. And those cars are so equal. That's what makes that, that racing series so tough to win in.
You're listening to SENZ, David Turner, the voice of motorsport, is my guest on the programme. David, let's just turn things finally to the domestic scene here in New Zealand. Next week, Topol hosts the first round of the Super Sprint series. Firstly, what is the Super Sprint? So define what that is for me and what type of car can we see in Topol, Manfield, Hampton, uh, Highlands, um, going right around the country, including Hampton Downs and Waikato. (laughs) Yeah, we, well, we are. So this is, this kicks off the, the first round of the Super Sprint Series, which is the Motorsport New Zealand Championship Series. Uh, so Super Sprint is a, is a name, if you like. Uh, and then within that, there's a, there's a bunch of categories that are going to be racing in it. So this is the only meeting before Christmas in Taupo. Um, it, it, a great way to kick off the season. And then certainly in January, we get to the, you know, the Castrol Racing Toyota Racing Series or the Formula Regional Series, as it's now known. And uh, all the single-seater drivers will be there for that over the five weekends in a row, which is an ultra-demanding series. The rest of the categories within Super Sprint carry on during that period as well. And then, uh, you know, the series itself rolls on through to, to March once the, the Toyota Racing Series part of it's over and done with, which naturally this year or next year will feature the New Zealand Grand Prix at Highlands for the first time ever. Uh, so that, that will be a, a massive event. But Taupo, yeah, next week, it, it'll be fantastic. Two main categories, the Toyota 86 Championship, which has a full field of 24 cars entered already. So it's the largest field in the history of the 86 series to be there. There are four women drivers in the series, nine rookies. So as a, again, as a one-make series, um, the little Toyota 86 has been proven to uh, get tin-top races into the game. And uh, I think that we'll see more of that this year. Championships, like anything, are not won or lost at the first uh, event, but you can do a lot of damage in a first event. So this is about duration across the calendar year, rolling right through to March for these guys. So I think that'll be good. It'll, it'll be a good series. Um, there's uh, Ronan Murphy, who was in the championship a few years ago and was part of the Elite Academy a few years ago, son of Greg Murphy. Well, Greg's other son, Cormac, is now involved in the series as well. So we've got yet another Murphy coming along. So that makes the 86 series look pretty good then the other key one that i'm really excited about is the somerset gt series which is our more exotic types of cars mercedes benz mclarens porsches um lots and bits and pieces going on there brock gilchrist who won the toyota 86 championship last year is now in a mclaren fully funded Giltrap mclaren entry uh, for the season um, as part of a scholarship deal that he won so that'll be in there there's a bunch of porsches um uh, Ayrton Hodgson, who was in the academy this year, he's featuring in a Porsche. So uh, real exotic-looking cars out there. And then we've got all the traditional ones, the Hamilton Asphalt Super V8s, Pirelli Porsches, the Next Entire Master Series. It's, it's a great entertainment. So Sunday's the main day in, uh, in Taupo next weekend. was racing pretty much from 8.30 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the evening. So it's a big big day. It's a good way to go and check it out. And then we return to... Um, in early January uh, for an historic meeting there with historic 5000s and a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, you and me can talk about another day because there's some very, very exciting things coming for that one. And that, of course, is the start of the Castrol uh, Formula Regional Toyota Racing Series as well. So it's, um, yeah, there's some good stuff and it's a chance to check out Taupo, which, of course, is where V8 Supercars goes next year. David Turner, as always, a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, You're most welcome, Mark. It's always enjoyable, as you well know.
And there you go, the dates for that Super Sprint Series, Taupo International Motorsport Park next weekend, 17th to the 19th. Then, as David mentioned, in January 19th to the 21st. Then we go to the Manfield Circuit, um, also given the name of Chris Amon. That is the 26th to 28th. And then Hampton Downs International Motorsport on the 2nd and 4th of February. Euromark Motorsport Park in Christchurch, uh, 9th to the 11th of February. Highlands International Motorsport Park down there in Cromwell from the 16th to the 18th of February. And then it wraps up back at Hampton Downs on the 15th to the 17th of March.